different things about it that's pretty cool. So the guys come through the gym and then, you know, just like with y'all, we're trying to um, figure out ways we can help each other and then mutually benefit and all that kind of stuff too. That's awesome. Um, so it's like, it's exciting. Fucking cool companies coming through, man. Like you guys, like him, uh, got a CBD company in town. We're hopefully going to build a relationship with too, man. And then uh, turn this 10th Planet Austin thing into its own little sports franchise kind of thing. You know, we got our sponsors, we got our, we got our everything in line, you know? Yeah. That's, I, uh, I reached out to Curtis again and yeah. then I was like, Oh shit, I forgot. He's kind of going through a, a really big life transformation right now. Yeah. Um, Baby coming. And then the stuff he's dealing with, with his tribe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He hasn't talked too much about it, but, uh, but just, he went up there to help his people, uh, the Kanatse Indian, I, I, I'm pretty sure that's how you uh, pronounce it, Kanatse Indian tribe uh, in Alaska. It has about 1,500 members. Um, someone on the board of the tribal council, uh, your typical white woman uh, who is making six figures, helping people out, uh, hasn't been helping people out. So he's trying to stand up to the tribal council uh, then the people within it that are part of that little swampy swamp they got up there um, and are not, you know, not taking care of the tribe and not providing them with the employment that they should be seeing on the deals that they're making. And then there, there's a little backdoor, you know, I own a piece of the company as well kind of deal going on with each of these people. So it's, it's, he's up there fighting his fight. So he's got a bunch going on. But as that settles down, I know you were talking to him about coming on the podcast. He'd be a great guest because he's got yeah. a long uh, there's a lot that's brought him to this moment and, um, the gym is doing extremely well. He's created a really, really strong culture where everyone who comes in from wherever they come in from, um, is just like blown away by it. Like, it's just such a great atmosphere too. Um, such a beautiful gym. And he set himself up as like the guy who's at headquarters in Texas, um, who started the HQ Texas because we got HQ where Eddie is at in LA and, um, you know, Curtis has now got himself, built himself quite a gym. And um, now it's the opportunities to now build more businesses off of that. And, mm-hmm. and he's a really smart guy. And I've learned a lot from him, from his leadership style. Um, I was just taking a note on this. It's just like in school, like you learn to learn. Um, and it's very anti-entrepreneurial. Um, just a very, like you go into debt, like you go to sit in school for four years and not, not make as much money as you could be making elsewhere take up a lot of your time. Um, you're not learning by doing. And one of the things with Curtis is I, I learned a lot from him of how to do things, how to get things done. And so when he talks about the future plans, like you've got a lot of confidence that, that he'll make those things happen. You know, mm-hmm. I've gained a, a really strong respect for him in just a handful of interactions that I've had. And so his story is one that I, I definitely want to explore. It's like a, a modern day uh, walking tall with remember that movie with the rock. It was kind of based on a true story um, kind of military veteran comes home and cleans up a, a hometown, but yeah, uh, no, there's a lot of different nuances to that, but yeah, no, no, I know what you're saying <laughs> is that with Curtis, um, him and I are very like him and I, we realized this year that was, it was time to take jujitsu off the mat and to start using it in the world. And one of the things that's interesting about Trump that um, is that there's a WWE aspect to everything he does is that he's kind of made the media the enemy. He's kind of made himself this character that everyone lobs arrows at. 
And um, it's illustrating to people that the media will disagree with him no matter what. I mean, we, we now are watching the Biden administration or the purported Biden administration. We'll see how the next few days goes. But I have a feeling that there's going to be a lot going on over the next few months. But Trump kind of taught people that, like, when you go on offense against people who have never had to play defense, they don't know how to play defense. And so he's put the tribe in a position where they have they've really done some things that are, you know, not they, they've slandered his name. They've they've um, and, and I'm and I'm talking about slandering his name in a pretty serious manner. Like they sent letters to the tribe and said he was no longer a part of the tribe because he's fighting with them about about, you know, what they're doing and how they're profiting. And he's trying to bring that to light. Um, and then in the same respects, like as you and I have talked about right now, I'm dealing with Austin ISD, right? Like I'm, I'm dealing with a school district that is not allowing the kids to be in school. And they kind of lied, they, they kind of, they lied to the parents. They said at the, at the beginning, at the outset of this year, that they would be, there would be on-campus instruction starting on October, October 5th. And then that, and it, I quote, on-campus instruction and, and the boys my girls' kids have been in school, um, you know, sitting around doing remote learning from school. And that's what they're calling on-person instruction, uh, on-campus instruction. The reality is, is that at the outset of this year, uh, federal and state politicians said that if you don't have an in-person option for students, you're going to find yourself in a position where you're not going to get funding. So they've figured out and they, they've, they've showed me as much and I've, I've kind of I finally got a response from a uh, principal at one of the schools in town because I just kind of, I kind of kept poking. Um, I kind of kept sending, "Hey, what are you guys doing? What is this about?" Uh, you know, I, I'll send videos of Dr. Fauci keep, now saying, "Keep going. I need to fix a light really quick." Yeah, yeah. Dr. Fauci uh, now saying that kids should be in school, and so as we know about Dr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci has now held every single position that you could hold on every single issue surrounding coronavirus. So when people say trust the science, trust Fauci, trust whatever, um, these people have held every single position on this thing the entire time. My positions haven't really wavered since March, since I saw the data. My position has been, we got to protect old people. We got to get everyone back to life. We got to put people, uh, you know, closing businesses, locking down businesses, continuing fear, keeping kids out of school. All of these things slow down the economy. They slow down everyone's life. They put people in a position where, um, you know, how many suicides have we seen? An increase in suicide, overdoses. People are like, look at the excess deaths. I'm like, how, I mean, the excess deaths, I mean, there's a wide variety of reasons. Yes, there's a bad virus going around. It's going to kill some people. Yes, Democrat politicians sent COVID into nursing homes. Yes, uh, people are committing suicides. Overdoses are up. I mean, it, a lot of things are going on. Fentanyl, and, um, you know, things of that nature. Fentanyl has been going on for, for four, this, this opiate epidemic has been going on for 20 years. And the same people that care about our health right now haven't cared about that forever. And so what I've realized with this, with this fight I'm, I'm, I'm picking with this inter, uh, Austin ISD, and if I clip this up and I send this to them, I want you guys to know this, we're sparring right now. And when this is over, we can be friendly. But right now you've brought, you've brought a war to everyone's doorstep. You've, and, and there's something that James Garfield said, President James Garfield said, he said, of course, I deprecate war, but if it is brought to my door, the bringer will find me at home. So what they've done is we know that remote learning is not working. It's, it's damaging the educational 
I, first off, public education stinks anyway. So now we're doing it on a computer and we know that it's, it's a lot of kids are failing. We know that um, a lot of kids are depressed. My girlfriend's a social worker. She, she, she's had kids come in there. She's had friends come in just to be around friends, like to, in, in, a, in a hospital setting that she's dealing with. Like, I mean, kids are not doing well. Um, you, you know how hard it must be. Uh, it's been for you personally to probably put all of this in your mind even, right? Like, holy, like there's a virus going on. First, you're like, the virus might kill me. Then you're like, holy shit, the government might kill me. They might, they might try to put everyone out of business, <laughs> right? And you're like, you're like, yeah. you're like, you're like, whoa, man. And so, and so like, like when I look at what's going on with Austin ISD, you know, they sent something back. They sent something back that was like, um, they said, uh, they said, that the, there was there's a piece of what they sent that was like we might need to increase the amount of hours that the amount of minutes that kids are in front of the computer so that we keep our funding. So what's going on is the older one of my girl's kids is in is in front of a computer from eight to four o'clock. Imagine being in front of the most boring, the most boring Netflix show of all time, which is public school education for eight hours a day, not being around your friends when you should be, when you should be in sixth grade. Uh, you know, meeting girls, meeting a new group of friends. Like this is sixth grade is like, oh my God, like I'm starting to like girls. I'm starting to, uh, I'm starting to grow a, a group of friends from all the different schools. Like, it's like, they should be having these experiences, these social experiences, and it's just not happening and they're not allowing it to happen. And it's all for funding. The whole game has been for funding. And Biden said as much this week, he said, uh, we'll get a hundred million in funding for, um, public schools, which is a 25 to 30% increase in funding, according to Alex Berenson. And we'll have, we'll get a hundred million and it'll be for, you know, all to make it COVID safe. And he said that schools are the most dangerous place for COVID. And you and I both know that an elementary school is surprisingly the safest place for this virus because this virus attacks old people and not young. Yep. So before we get too far in. Yeah. Um, I third time, dude. Thank you for coming back on. Bro, I, uh, thanks for having me on. When an episode with your name is released, I know two things are going to happen. A bunch of people are going to go and listen to it because you're one of the most listened to guests that I've had on. I think you've got your own reach. You've got a lot of people who care about what you're saying, but then there's a lot of hate that comes along with it. Um, uh, I love it. And it's, it's literally, I enjoy talking to everybody. I, you know, it's, I've had some super interesting people on the show who blow my mind with science and, uh, people who are way more athletic and, you know, accomplished than I'll ever be talking about how they've gotten to where they've gotten, but you're, you're real, you're very, uh, direct and you're not afraid to continue to peel layers of the onion, um, even as your eyes start to tear up and everybody else's eyes start to tear up, right? So uh, I, I appreciate it. I wanted to uh, say thank you. And uh, I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah, bro. I mean, um, I've already lost a publishing deal. I mean, I've already been canceled. 
uh, and, and, you know, as we've detailed, I got to keep the money. I got to keep the book, right? So it's, it's available at the 451project.com for anyone who wants to read about how NFL organizations are constructed, essentially. But, um, you know, one of the things is, is that you realize along the line, along the way that if you, if you step out of line, if you don't agree with all the things that people are supposed to agree with and you're public about that, most of these people aren't going to hire you anyway. So why are you going to try and be friends with the people who are not going to hire you anyway, because you disagree with them? Yeah. Like those aren't, those aren't people I want to hang out with anyway. I, I got a whole entire crew. That's one of the things about jujitsu is like, we've got people, man, we've got a real community. We've got people that we can rely on and that rely on us. And so why would I care what someone on the internet who doesn't know me thinks? You know, and it's, it's kind of, it's kind of been a freeing year. Like 2020, am I stressed out? Yeah, man, it's stressful. Uh, I've been stressed out a lot this year, but it's been an awesome year because you really kind of recognize, and I'm sure you have, like, we, we recognize what's really important and where we're trying to go, you know? Yeah, hundred percent. Met a lot of cool people, yourself included. Um, you too, bro. I'm, I'm, guess, I'm stoked about the relationship we're building with uh, to be you and I and with Action Man. I'm, no. uh, I'm a real big believer. Yeah, it's uh, for anybody that's listening, Action, who you know sponsors this show. I'm a partner in. Um, we've got some big things in the works with Tenth Planet Austin and uh, with Zach and Curtis and Gabe and the whole squad. So yeah. more to come with that. Uh, certainly, stay tuned. Reach out if you have questions. We'd love to to answer them, but. I and, think and for, to, to cut you off real quick, though, to just really dig home a point, like Joe is like Joe's a superstar, man. Curtis, Curtis has talked to me about Joe and Joe is, um, you know, it's about the team, right? Entrepreneurships. It's about uh, like the team that you put together and you guys have got a guy who was fun to, fundamental on the supply chain side for a lot of the things that have made on it successful. And um, that's the kind of guy that is going to that knows how to lead forward the next organization that he's a part of and uh, takes those skills on with him everywhere he goes. So to be a part of that, uh, it's super exciting. Oh, a thousand percent, man. I appreciate it. Um, so and yourself as well too. <laughs> <laughs> I, thank you. Um, and what the hell not are you doing on the spot? No, you're fine. Um, so I think it's safe to say then you're not going to be going and asking for a job at the Austin ISD. No, I'm not going to be asking for a job there. What I'm going to ask them for is I'm going to ask these people to just do the right thing, man. Because, you know, what we're about to get into, too, is that you had an incredible uh, podcast with Ty Empey. And uh, I just had a great podcast on 10 PATX Chats with my homie Adam Kujawa, who is one of the really key guys in terms of uh, building the culture at 10 Planet Austin, in terms of uh, being a successful uh, person in recovery um, for myself and other people like me. He's a few years ahead of me. Uh, I forget the exact amount. of. I, th I believe he might be near eight years now. Uh, I'm at three. And I met Adam just as I was in that those final processes of, of weaning off of opiates. And so to hear you talk to Ty and to hear, um, you know, Adam talk about this, um, you know, has brought me back into a place where I'm also reading this incredible book that I'd be remiss to not mention, even though I'm trying to hawk my own book, right? Uh, the True Tale of America's Opiate Epidemic, Dreamland by Sam Quinones. And man, it's taken me back to just understanding the reality that I lived in for multiple years, for a while, man. Like for, 
you know, you start doing opiates. So my story starts at 14. I'm first prescribed ADHD medication. Then at 16, I'm prescribed uh, opiates for the first time after a broken foot ends my junior year of uh, high school football. Um, you know, I, I played in college, so my goal was always to play in college. And junior year is that year that you prove that you are going to be that guy who's worth a scholarship. And I didn't have that opportunity. So there I am, depressed, taking pills. Then eventually I stop taking the pills and don't realize that I'm in withdrawals, get more depressed. Uh, but then there's always this thing I feel like in the back of my head, both wanting that molecule, getting introduced to that morphine molecule that they talk about in this Dreamland book. And um, he also makes a really good point. He talks about toxoplasmosis, uh, which is that disease, that, uh, that virus, whatever, that rats get that attracts them to cat urine. And so that attraction to cat urine is them literally being attracted to what will kill them. And mm -hmm. so that experience, letting that demon in the door, that molecule in, in your brain is a demon that eventually you're attracted to what's going to kill you. And yeah. so I spent basically the next 10 years, 11 years building up to an opiate addiction and then building down from it. Because I also realized in talking to Adam, I, I, I talked to him about this is like, I recognize that I built this problem up over multiple years. So a month stay in rehab is just going to be a waste of money. How am I going to strategize how I'm going to get out of this? And so that's one of the other things too, is man, like when I go out and I like, and I'm, you know, I get heat on me. It's like, it's like, I've already been in the worst possible place I could be in, like facing death, knowing that if I continue to take opiates, I'm either going to, I'm going to run out of money or and I'm going to start doing heroin I'm going to, I'm eventually going to die. So I've already faced death. So and then I've also, I've faced a spiritual death and I faced a community death. You lose people within your community in terms of people that are your friends, in terms of like, you know, you just don't have relationships with people anymore. You know, people who have died. Um, so it's like a, it, it, that, it, it's like this build up and this, this terrible thing that you have to deal with. So there's first that, and then there's also like, so I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay with dealing with heat, man. Like life's good. Like I've got, I've got, uh, you know, now I have, I've got a girlfriend. I've got uh, two awesome kids that I'm, you know, I'm helping her raise that they know who I am. They love me. So it's like, okay, y'all don't like me. That's fine. Y'all don't really know me. And then also it's like, there's this other piece of it too. And I've, I, I figured out how to get off opiates on my own. So in terms of problem solving, in terms of uh, dealing with issues, like, I, I mean, I've dealt with one of the hardest issues that a person can deal with, which is being addicted to what is heroin. And so, you know, when we talk about like dealing with that kind of shit or dealing with a fight with the Austin ISD or whatever, it's like, bring it on, man. I've already been in, I've been in fights. I've been fighting. I've been fighting since I was born. Like I was born with strep B. I was, I was, you know, apart from my mom for the first 10 days, I was a, a baby. I was, I've been, that, that's been my story I've gotten told from the time I was this tall. So I've been a fighter mentally since then. And so, you know, with Austin ISD, it's just like, man, just do the right thing. Because what I'm, what my intention is, is if you don't do the right thing and because there's no plan to get the kids back in school. So if you don't plan on doing the right thing, I'm going to make you make sure that everyone in town knows your name. Stephanie Ilizalde. Stephanie Ilizalde is our, is our superintendent. She makes $334,000 a year. She makes double the amount of money of the governor, but she doesn't have the kids in school. She doesn't have a plan to put them back in school. There's no reason for that. 
I mean, look, I tr- I'm, I certainly want to look at everything from both sides as, as much as possible yeah. because I don't think anything is completely one-sided. And I think, unfortunately, and I think the hardest part about solving these problems are, in most cases, it's people's own individual intent and will, albeit influenced by mass crowds or you know uh, yes. unrest, but ultimately there are people in positions of authority who are caving to the pressures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're so much kinder than me and that's why you're the good balance to, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a nice guy, right. But you get me fired up and you bring a fight. I'm going to bring a fight back, you know? And it's yep. like, and that's where you balance me out with this, you know, with, with me going to the extents I go to. Right. And it's, well, hold on, I but, so, but I, I just want to say this because I, I appreciate that. I think that you, you tell me things and I'm like, I just look at everything very evenly. I don't, I don't, I try not to have any type of preconceived notions because of how somebody um, says, or even other things that they believe in. Right. Like I, to me, anything you have to say could potentially be worth me wanting to hear. Unfortunately, not a lot of people think that way. And so I think the way you deliver it sometimes makes people not want to hear what you have to say. And that's on them. But as somebody who really values what you have to say, I want to make sure that I always stop and say, hey, Zach, explain this this way. Because yeah. honestly, I, you are, you're dead right on most everything we talk about. Um, you just, you're blunt. I go hard, bro. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I go, I go a little hard because... I'm at this position now where part of the reason I go hard is like, I've, I've been deep within like kind of trying to figure this out. Right. Like there's like a next, there's a next book in me that I'm working on and and things like that. And it's like, one of the things about Curtis that I learned is like the, the need to be direct. Right. And, and sometimes I'm a little too direct because I get the same feedback from people like, you know, and it's like, I'm trying, bro. I'm trying. Like I'm really, you know, and it's, um, but you know, it becomes, to a point where I can understand and I can be sympathetic, but then there's also when you've been in the thick of something, you need someone to take you by the shoulders and shake you and say like, Hey, like, this is what you're doing. Like I needed someone that like to really like when I'm was in in the thick of addiction and I'm doing everything, like when you're, when you're an addict, you'll do anything, bro. You'll you'll, like sell pills. You'll like, I didn't, I, I didn't really do much worse than that right? And it's like, but when you talk to people, the depths of it, and you got to be hard on people because they're making excuses for themselves, too, is that like, I made a lot of excuses for myself and for my behavior for quite a long time. And so when I when I'm and this is, this is why it's great with what you just said is just when I'm there's nothing that anyone could do that I couldn't forgive if they apologized for it and if they took recognition of their actions and if they took responsibility for their actions and the consequences. Is it, is that, and I think it's, is that tied to your, uh, like you look at something like taking accountability, you put a, a large value on that because you took accountability and faced something that was difficult and you understand that that was how to overcome. 
is I'm still taking accountability for it. You know, yeah. like it's like I'm still learning how to take accountability for for it. But the first step is you have to admit you're wrong. Yeah. And there's a lot of people right now who will not admit they're wrong, and they've been wrong. Like you know, Dr. Fauci, he'll 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 admit he's wrong. He'll he'll have this opinion on this, but it, it, or whatever. And you know, at least at least he you know he's had every opinion, right? Like I've said, had every opinion on it. At least he'll admit he's wrong. And it's like, but the the establishment that he's now put in place is now not not reeling it back. And it's like, if you're not going to have kids in school, like you need a mountain of evidence to do that. And from the email I received, they don't have any, you yeah. know? Yeah. So go, let's go into this. What, what is the situation? Cause I, I, we keep getting sidetracked, but I've, that's, that's on me. So. Oh no, don't worry. Don't worry. The situation is basically that what I realized what I kind of explained out is that like school districts around the country have to, like, especially big city school districts have told parents that there would be an in-person instruction option and there's not. And, and they did that or an on-campus in-person instruction experience. And, and so the reality of the, what we look at now is that they've been telling, there's no plan to get the kids back in school, at least in Austin. And I would imagine that this is the same thing they're doing across the board is because they wanted funding and you get funding per student. And so they told kids and parents in the summer that they would have an on, this in, on-campus instruction so that they would be a part of it rather than just spend whatever on homeschooling and figure out an option around that. But the other thing is too, is that like, you know, there's a lot of parents that don't really have another option. Like some of the wealthier parents can go figure out, uh, you know, I'm moving over here and I'm moving to this school district. If you're in a divorce situation or whatever, you might be tied to this school district or what, you know, and like my girl, my girlfriend has to live in this school district right now. So she's tied to the school district. She can't move. So are there no students in schools at all right now? Not this week. And, uh, but they're going to come back because they were, Kate, they were worried about cases coming back from Thanksgiving. So what I realized when they say something like that is like, here's another excuse. Like, it's like, we keep taking steps back. There's no steps forward. And so they're going to be back in school for on-campus instruction, which only includes them remote learning on campus. The teachers aren't in school. The teachers at, at multiple school districts are kind of holding the state hostage in a sense. So what's the point of the students going in if the teachers aren't there? The te- well, that's for parents who can't have to work. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I get it. I, yeah, it makes sense. Well, it mess. makes sense. It's great that, they, that they're offering daycare. But one of the things is, is like, you know, the oldest is on the computer for like eight hours. Like he's not having the, the school experience. And he's finding himself in this position where it's really difficult for him. So I'm extrapolating that out. Cause he's a tough kid and there's a lot of kids that must be doing much worse. Yeah. Have, I, I know early on in the pandemic, there was a lot of people who were talking about, um, Hey, if you're a teacher, say, fuck the system, go start your own Academy and, you know, take on less students, make more money, have more flexibility over your life. And it sounded like a really, really good idea. I think I shared it to like my social media. I saw somebody post about it. But it's like, I haven't heard really of anybody. And I'm sure there's people out there doing that. But is that an option in Austin? Are there like smaller private, you know, like where you're actually going to have people like-minded who are like, hey, look, okay, yeah, this is serious, but kids have to learn and them not learning and interacting is serious as well. So let's get 12 or 15 of them together with a smart young teacher who wants to, you know, engage with people. The problem is, is that, you know, you've got a bunch of, you know, 
I wish we could have sent him to private school, right? Like the second I could, I would, right? Like, you know, and, um, but I, I can't do that right now. And Jamie can't do that either. Um, you know, you got the other issues at hand too, right? Ex-husband, yeah. things like that. Um, but, you know, that they're open. That's the thing is all the school districts around Austin are open as well. So they all have in-person options. So there's not really any science behind these, these decisions. And one of the realities is, is that there's, there's a bit of a war going on in terms of the education, right? There's the Trump administration is a big charter school with Betsy DeVos. Biden administration is, you know, I think the head of the department of education is about to be like a former union boss. Right. So like it's, 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 there's two distinct different ways of doing this. And there's one school of thought that let's continue to invest in a ton of money in this public school system that doesn't work and doesn't serve the students. And, you know, you look at Baltimore, Baltimore, we spend more per capita on the student than anywhere else in the country, maybe anywhere else in the world. I think it might, that might be the, the, the number uh, or the, the stat. And some massive percentage of kids can't read at their level. And, you know, uh, there was some test uh, that they did that was like 0% of people passed at their grade level in terms of math and reading. And it's like, we're not, we're not putting kids in the best spot to succeed. And then we're just going to reinvest in, in a process that's not working. Well, and it's because you need the funding to go to these schools and other options, you know? Sure. I mean, call me crazy, but we're, what are we now? 10 months into this pandemic, roughly? Not uh, nine months. Not, yeah. Nine, nine months. months. Nine months. Been, yeah, we could have had a baby. If, if we, if you and I, because men and women can have babies, if you and I got together, uh, we could have, had a baby at this point we got together on the day that quarantine started you know yeah that's true i mean <laughs> all those quarantine babies are coming bro yeah they are so you know, for the people that survived uh, <laughs> so i mean you think about all the people what was that what was i saying i forget um, oh, okay i know where i was going with this so we're nine months in the economy's been decimated so many people have died from being sick too many people have died from being depressed too many businesses have been lost because of restrictions and regulations schools now you're telling me stories you know all this all the issues i mean i think this is a great opportunity for them to reshuffle the deck completely because i think like we're we're trying to just slow down the run of water and we're going to just be left with a broken system when this all dies down. Instead, I would say let's upheave the whole thing because the way that schools were set up and education was set up, it's been nothing but a disaster for several years. I mean, why are kids sitting in classrooms staring up at the front like they're in a factory in the first place? That this is an opportunity because what do, as far as I'm concerned, what do you have to lose? You have people who have dug in so far on either side. And in a lot of cases, I think the decisions that are being made, and I don't have kids that are in the school system. So let me be, let me be clear. I, you know, I'm probably speaking out of line, but a lot of what I see is people who have been annoyed with something about their job for the last 10 years. They don't like that they have to do something. And now COVID gives them the excuse to draw their hard line in the sand and say, I'm not doing it anymore. And so 
what that's done is it's it's fragmented everything as well too because it's it's the same excuse but it's different problems because of the excuse and and some of them are legitimate you know there's probably a lot of teachers who've you know given 20 30 years of their lives and who are now in the later years that are at risk and they shouldn't they shouldn't be forced to go into the schools and put themselves at risk and potentially become sick and die and the problem is because of all the other whiny 35 year old complaining people who are yeah. taking advantage of it they're not only hurting the kids but they're hurting the actual people who justly inside of the system need protection and need flexibility but when everybody thinks that there's a free lunch to be had and there's really no um, leadership from somebody like that superintendent who you named you know who should step in and say hey look people are gonna fucking hate me anyways so yeah. do the right thing and that's your job. That's why you get paid the 300 and whatever, hundred thousand dollars a year salary is to, to take the criticism, but why don't you take the criticism in the right, like do it, do the right thing. Don't do the political thing because either way you're going to get shit. You know, we're seeing the consequence of the college campus come out onto the, on into the world. You know, I mean, we're seeing like Rogan's been talking about it with, Dave Rubin, Ben Shapiro, the intellectual dark web about what was going on on college campuses. And now it's in the real world. And we've got people that are not at risk acting terrified. You know, when I see someone who's young and has zero risk, I'm like, what are you doing? Like, I, you, even at this point, even if you live with someone or, or know someone who's older and you're around them, we're at the point now where we also, this is one of the things we found out months ago is that like, it, there's no asymptomatic spread. Like that, that, that's also a piece of this too, is that it seems like there's at least, let me just say, let me preface it by, it seems like there's no asymptomatic spread. There's uh, my, my take on the virus is one, it's real. Um, I think it's taking out a lot of people who are in really bad physical health. And one of the things I've thought about, and it's a harsh and direct thing to say is that like, we're talking about people like that are real, like my grandma wants to be out. She wants to be out and living her life normal, not wearing a mask doing whatever. And, you know, we're talking about people who are either at the end of their life or they haven't taken care of their health up to this point. And it's on them to put themselves in shape, to get them set, to get their lives in order, because this is their wake up call. And if you, like you said, we've had nine months now, if you're not taking care of your health at this point and making those steps forward, that's on you. And so we've, it, it's about time we get back to normal, but also to your point, is that like the young people are acting wild, man. Like they're acting, they're, they've been so indoctrinated into this system that they still believe these things that you and I like, no, it's just, you know, we, we've been living life, we've been training the whole time with no masks. Like people aren't dropping like flies. Like I know we're healthy at, you know, in our, in our groups that we know, but we're not hearing the kind of things that we should be hearing if this was, what we initially made that deal with the government of two weeks to slow the spread, which I did, I did a month, you know, I changed my life around. So it's like, now we're so far into it and we're not doing what we should have been doing the whole time, which is just protect the old people. Like those are the people to protect. Well, and you know, know, I've, I have a grandmother who's very good health, very uh, young, active for her age. She's approaching 80, you know, and, 
I don't want her being exposed to this type of stuff, but I, you know, I also feel like she's in fairly good health and the fact that she's been an active person probably makes it so that when she does come across it, she'll be less likely to contract it in the first place, but it's highly contagious from what it sounds like. And so I would appreciate it if people took, you know, uh, precautions when they're around her, but you know, that was kind of what we did anyways. If somebody had the flu is yeah. it was just a, it was common decency, you know, it was like, Hey, you're sick with the flu. Don't go over to grandma's house or, you know, your aunt just had a baby and you're sick. Don't go over there. I didn't need, you know, governor Wolf to fucking tell me that I didn't yeah. need um, to have to wear a mask forcibly because of that. I just did it because it was the right thing to do. And it just made common sense. Uh, I saw, I think it was Cam Haynes posted uh, some stuff in his story and it was uh, screenshots from the CDC. And what it showed was like in the state of California was one of the examples that he showed cited um, in 2017, there was a week in the state of uh, California where 7,000 and some odd people died across all reasons um, in the state of California. There hasn't been a week since that date where that number has been reached or eclipsed. That was in 2017, you said? That was in 2017. And I don't know, you know, somebody asked me, well, what happened in 2017? I don't, I don't even know if that was the highest number. He just went back to two, I think it was maybe like the most available numbers. But the point being, for the last three years, the numbers have been some like at a, at a level. And in 2020, they didn't jump up. There's not, there's not all these extra dead people, which to me would say, and again, I'm who I am. Listen, if you're listening to me, and, and taking my advice seriously, then do yourself a favor and tune out because that's a dangerous uh, recipe. But I do think that I have enough common sense to look at that and say, seems like there's not any more people dying. That would be what the numbers say. You know, we're still having the same argument that we were having in March and April, you know, and like people aren't, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, we're getting more data. The data is continuing to support our position and people aren't getting off of it. And one of the things that bothers me about masks that I've kind of realized lately is one, there's a 2009 study that shows that they don't work. And we're talking about N95 level masks. Alex Berenson posted that too. He's been on fire. That guy, he used to be at the New York times. He's written a couple books that Amazon is kind of uh, downregulated uh, about COVID. Uh, he, they've delayed it. They've taken it off the site for a moment or not. I'm not even sure if you put it back up, but Alex Berenson, he sent an article out, like there's 2009 study. Didn't, they don't work. And so what I've kind of come to realize is that the mask is what makes you feel like it makes certain people feel like something's going working, but it's also a tool. The mask is a tool that allows you to go out and pretend that you're honestly saying that COVID didn't spread at the, at the riots and the protests, but then simultaneously, because everyone there was wearing masks, even though we both know that people there weren't wearing masks all day. And then you can simultaneously say Trump shouldn't have, those are super spreader events because those Trump people, they don't wear a mask. And then that becomes the excuse for everything. It becomes, so, you know, why you can do this and they can't do that. I want to get your opinion on something. I think it's okay. important. Um, if I had to ask you, is this a, is there a George Soros type character sitting at a table 
that concocted this whole plan or is this something that happened somehow and it's a lot of individuals continuing to take advantage of that on and on and on and on and on and on and on. Well, you're about to get an answer. Uh, it's the first one. It's there. It's not a, might not be a George Soros, but there's a group of people that if we see who's benefiting, who's benefiting or major corporations, people with relationships with China, uh, Walmart, Amazon, Microsoft, go down the line. The people who are already rich are getting richer. And a lot of these people have a, a, their futures, right? You're a business guy. Yep. Action has financial projections, for sure. And those financial projections are based on what you guys think is going to happen in the future, where you intend on making your mark, where you intend on uh, growing out your business, and how you intend on doing that. These corporations have factored into their future growth rate. They have factored in expansion into China. Roger Goodell wants to be a $25 billion league by 2027. Currently, they're like, uh, last year, I, I forget what it was, but they're at least like 10, bill 10 billion away. How are you going to get there in the next seven years? The, 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 you've, you've maximized the sport here at home, potentially. And this BLM support has, has surely turned off some percentage again as well. Because uh, I, I, I mean... I, I got jujitsu going on and stuff. And I kind of just, I haven't really watched football this year. And I know a lot of people are like, when you've gone through a pandemic, you're like, I don't really need to watch football anymore. So and do so, you think it's like a, a series of phone calls? Do you think it's a Bilderberg event? Like how does, yeah. how does, and I listen, I'm, I'm as, I'm as willing to look into absolutely everything. And, and for just so that we're level set, I think that there's probably some aspects to this that are more strategically mapped out than yeah. others. I think that there's, you know, I, th I think, I mean, there's a lot of people that think it had something to do with the election. You know, the fact that Trump was in office and that this could have been a great way to tank his opportunity for re-election. That would kind of fly in the face from a, a large strategic play around, you know, growing a more global economy. I think those are two separate ideas that don't work together. But, you know, I think it could have been very simply there's people or countries in this world who want to destabilize America because they know that when you tip over, you know, a, a domino, what that always is, what the effect is always going to be. And so I think it's, it's kind of more of that as opposed to, you know, forecasted timelines, but I'm, I'm more than willing to, to listen and hear in. And if you think that, you know, these folks all got on an airplane because, Epstein coerced them with little girls and they flew to the center of the earth with a bunch of lizards and Hillary Clinton was there on a podium. I'll fucking listen to you, brother. Like I I'll listen to it, but dude, that'd be wild. Right. Yeah. I mean, they didn't go to the center of the earth, but, uh, <laughs> so there's things like event 201. There's other things I've heard about, um, you know, that people have, people have strategized the post-election, um, you know, John Podesta has been involved in the strat, strat the process of strategizing for the post-election. Um, you know, they don't they don't want to see a reality where Donald Trump wins. And and one of the things that I, a point that I want people to understand is like, is that all of the previous the all of the currently living presidents and their challengers, including John McCain who, who passed away, 
they all are anti-Trump. And so if you're operating under the assumption that both sides are two sides of the same coin that's designed to fuck you, and all of those people are against one guy, maybe that guy isn't so bad. And that's essentially why I'm like, all right, I hope Trump's the answer. What do you think the what do you think the common thread is then? What is it about him that they hate? If to, to get like that type of consensus, there's gotta be like something. They don't hate him, they're scared of him. It's the same reason people get canceled. It's the same reason they're scared of them. They thought that they the people who want to be canceled, they don't hate me. They just don't wanna, they don't want to, they've got they've got their own issues, they got their own incentives, they've got their own things going on, and, and they don't want me to distract distract from their worldview. And they don't want me to crack through their worldview. They don't want their worldview to be attacked. And one of the things with the Trump, Trump administration is that he's attacking the globalist incentivized plan, the, the movement towards it. Like these people are invested in a global world. And while that sounds beautiful, it sounds nice, they are importing Chinese speech codes to our country. They're like, they're, they're not exporting our values anymore because they don't believe in our values. Well, so, when I heard when I heard not to cut you off, when I heard about movies that were changed and, you know, there's scenes yeah. in movies that, you know, Top Gun is one of them where they took patches off of his jacket yeah. because they didn't want to offend them. Right. It's like yeah. um, that starts to. And, and look, what do I fucking care? I'm you know, I'm not going to go watch that movie if they if they're offended and they want to change it. That's whoever made the movie has every right to do it because they probably were funded by China. And I think that's the key, right? Like it doesn't bother me that they change a movie, but I'm curious as to why. And I understand why somebody would change a movie. It's because of money. I mean, that money is everything. And so when you start to connect the dots, things that seem really far off and uh, seem very, you know, okay, that's, that's crazy. That's conspiracy. You can bridge the gap a lot closer when you start to understand how things move. And that's, that's why I've kept an open mind. And then 2020 happens and it's just like, okay, I've had an open mind and I'm still fucking shocked at what I'm watching. And then what I felt happened was like, because things have been so crazy as far as like the organic shit that just like happened, that it's given other people this like false sense of, Okay, well, it's okay for me to like show my true colors and act a fool. It's like when you're at a party and, it, and you would never do certain things, but everybody else starts acting crazy and you just are like, oh, I guess I can do it too. Like I won't, I'm not going to stand out as the person that's up on a table screaming. Nobody, it's, it's not going to surprise anybody because everybody else is doing it. Yeah. And I've kind of sat back and I've watched certain people change 180 degrees and it's like what how do you like just because the world upends like you take it as your opportunity to uh change completely and i i don't know it's a it's a strange phenomenon i've seen with people one of the things is that i feel like like i feel like the guy fucking standing on the table like yo what the fuck like you know like yelling yelling yo like I'm, I'm, maybe i'm trying to calm everyone down i don't know I don't know what I'm doing on the table. I'm just yelling though. But I'm like, I feel like from this, you talk about incentives and connecting the dots, right? And like, the world's run by incentives. And one of the things that made me feel qualified to start talking about this kind of stuff is that 
I've dissected the game of football in this financial way. And I've kind of, I, you know, the books are the books I've written are about like breaking down how you spend money to accomplish an objective. Right. And so I, I got schooled in that I'm a 10th planet guy. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm in the conspiracy realm of these are the conversations that we have at the gym. Right. And so the dots aren't hard to connect. Like Curtis and I have been talking about China for like two years. And so when this came to be, it was like, oh my God, like they really are connected. Like there's a lot of people, like you're talking about countries trying to destabilize us and take a domino down is we are the, as Ronald Reagan said, we're the last bastion for freedom on earth. We are that place. We are the place that resists all of the socialism, communism, resist we're still resisting lockdown as europe goes into lockdown and look at europe man like a lot of these european countries are just a step away from china going back into lockdowns and things like that i mean california is a step away from china and what you realize is that like this domino that they're trying to destabilize is they're trying to create a world where the chinese way of being where the people at the top have all the control trust me these world leaders are looking at china like how do we get more control how do we get more money how do we get more power and when you think about, let's tie it to the drug stuff. The relationship that our country has with China is far too friendly in terms of like the, the established, the deep state, right? And the CIA, we know the CIA is rumored to sell drugs, right? I mean, we have this, open, like having closed borders, just to talk about a Trump topic, right? Having closed borders is considered racist now. Every president has said that we need them. They just were, they never plan on actually doing it. So now Trump comes in and he's kind of threatening, we're going to actually close the border. What comes over the border? Drugs, child trafficking. Uh, you know, you think about, there's a, I've talked to you about it before, 2012, Obama gave uh, the port of Long Beach to China. He just gave it to him right before COVID happened. What happened? Trade deal. Uh, Trump's putting together a trade deal with China. And also he, uh, he took that port back. So, and he's closing the border. So, He's doing these things that to me strategically are telling me that, uh, you know, that he's, he's doing something good and there's something shady going on with, at least with drug trafficking. We just saw, I sent you the article about China uh, working with Mexican drug cartels. So people are like, this is a national security issue. The border is a national security issue, always has been. And one of the ways you destabilize Texas and you take control of the country is an open border. If Texas goes blue, you lose the whole country. The whole country goes blue. There's no way to ever win another election. So it's, you know, and I, and I say blue, but it's establishment politicians on both sides. And they, you know, Trump has kind of hijacked the Republican Party in some respects, according to what I believe and the things that I've kind of gathered. Do you think it's a good thing in hindsight? Think, I mean, uh, uh, that how he's approached everything, because I've heard, and here's, here's my frustration, right? Right. Uh, I would like nothing more than to have all kinds of tops be blown off because we had somebody come in, be the president of the United States, ruffle feathers, not give a fuck. I'm been, I'm just increasingly disappointed that based on where we're at right now, where, you know, for the most part, it looks like Biden's going to be the president. Okay. You know, um, there's what seems to be fraud in a lot of isolated cases. I think there's probably a little bit more coordination and I'm sure there's shady shit that goes on on both sides at a small level that you could find 
Um, but you know, there's the, the whole water main break in, uh, in Georgia, that's a little fishy, you know? Yep. So I get it. Um, but January he's going to be inaugurated. And I asked myself, what, what's the play for Trump? If all of these things are true, right. They spied on you. You think that you're, you know, if you believe some of the QAnon shit, like there's some deep, deep things that he has, he's about ready to do. He's about ready to do Hillary's going to yeah. go to jail. Like if I'm sitting in that position, because if he doesn't win this election, you, do you think he's going to have a normal life? If no. there's anything we can all agree on, his life's going to be fucking miserable after this because he's just going to be, a, they're going to probe the fucking shit out of him. His businesses are going to be under scrutiny. And so he has every reason to blow the top off and just like leave it in a mess. Like in, in essence, like just say, Hey, yep. Fuck you. And he seems to me to be the kind of person and personality to do that. Whether you agree with that being the right thing to do or not, I guess what I'm saying is he's the type of personality that is like, I'll, I'll just fucking yell out in the, in the room. Who's fucking who your wife's cheating on you. Like, and then I'm going to leave because you guys don't like me. That's Donald Trump. So the fact that he's not doing that, it's the same thing with like that lady who, you know, Tucker Carlson was like, Hey, show us the evidence. Like, I want to see the evidence. And she sent like responses back and was like, don't reach, don't reach back out to me. Sidney Powell. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I'm not somebody who thinks that this shit wasn't dirty. I mean, I my mother-in-law got uh, a ballot, a mail-in ballot in the mail for her brother who's been dead for 12 years. So at a minimum, the state of Pennsylvania is disorganized. So that in itself should lend us to be a little bit more, you know, maybe have more scrutiny as to what this process was and not just be so uh, pompous that it's just because somebody didn't win, you know, like I, I don't really care which one of these assholes wins. I do care. I had, you know, I had my opinions and what I would like to see, but life's going to go on for me. It's about what precedent is set for this country moving forward, because we all still have to live in it after these two guys die. And so, you know, well, one of the issues I, I have with it is that, like, the precedent hasn't been set by him. The precedent's been set by the previous administration, right? Like, that's one of the things with all this stuff that's come out, right? Like, is like, you know, the Michael Flynn situation, the um, spying on the Trump administration, the documents that have illustrated that Hillary Clinton, um, you know, they set up this whole Russia story, the Steele dossier, all this stuff to distract from her issues, from the emails, from all this other stuff. And it became this thing that they could wrap around Trump's neck and really divide the country. So like one of the, like one of the things that I realized, I didn't vote for him in 2016 and I didn't even vote for Ted Cruz in 2018. I just voted libertarian both times because I was like, they're both the same, both parties are the same. But over the last two years, there's been some leadership in the Republican party that said to me, all right, maybe, maybe these guys might be putting up some fight. There might be something going on over here. And one of the things that, I I realized about Trump at some point is that, yeah, he's boisterous and he's loud and he's obnoxious and all these things, right? He's not the hero that we wish we could have, right? We want to have the guy who's unflappable, who's, who is, uh, you know, you know, I I mean, I I might be loud and obnoxious, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be towards and develop towards, like I'm bringing a fight with things, but I'm also trying to, you know, be kind. And I do that in my personal life and all that kind of stuff. 
And the thing with Trump is that he's in a battle right now. He's been in a battle for four years with people who are essentially lying about him all of the time. So when people are like, you know, he's got this personality, I don't like the way he tweets and all this stuff. It's like, yeah, no, I get it. But like, why not right now? Right. Fuck, man. The guy's got a ton of money. He, if it's as bad as look, politics are dirty. Right. So my point is if you lost because Biden's team was a little dirty and they, you know, they rallied the troops, they went and fucking had a ground game. They got a bunch of people who never vote. Cause we know what is the real percentage of people who vote in this country. There's a lot of white space. There's a lot of green field. So you, you know, I don't know, go give out visa gift cards to people in the inner cities and tell them to go vote. Yeah. But you know what? It's dirty, but that's politics. And so Trump can shut up if that's what his claims are. Now, if there's all these actual fraudulent things that you're saying that you have, which you're going and filing lawsuits against and shit like that, like go take out a bunch of cash, fucking rent some television time and go give a presentation to the American people. And let's go through all of it because I think there's a lot there, but like, the problem is, is they're not, they're not covering it either though. That's kind of the issue. Yeah, but dude, if he, if he made this big spectacle and fucking went and like, and announced it, like, I'm going to take out a $10 million ad spot. Like you could, you could market it in a way where it's like, I'm going to give you the secrets to everything. I'm fucking going to like, think about the leverage that he has. But to me, it's only worth doing that. If what you have to expose is really like groundbreaking, it's like a movie. If you had like this actual, I've got you card. I think he's very, I think he speculates what we're all speculating, which is it was pretty fucking dirty, but they don't, there's like if, or maybe I'm wrong, but like go and drop the, to me, drop the fucking hammer and let's just flip 2020 on its head. Otherwise I I just. Some of these hearings are like, you know, the hearings have been televised. He's had these hearings in front of legislatures. And now these states are, some people within the states are fighting to get back to the constitutional solution, which is we don't vote. We have legislators, legislators who vote for us. So, which is actually kind of a way that I would imagine might take some money out of politics in some respects, if we were just a legislature, like obviously the money's going to get more directed on the ground level at the state level. Right. But you know, it's when I look at the legislature legislative possibility, like, I mean, I've seen some pretty interesting evidence and the, nothing more interesting than four States that where he's leading in stopping counting on election night. Yep. And then in the middle of the night, all these mail-in ballots that we've just been told are going to slant toward who told us mail-in ballots were going to be a Biden thing. Right. Because there's plenty of old people who probably did mail-in ballots as well, who are Republican too. So we're, we've just kind of been told by the media who's been telling us about Russia collusion, been telling us Trump was going to be impeached, been telling us about a P tape. I mean, they, they've, the, the people, right, right? Like, I mean, we got to. Dude, right? like, hold on. <laughs> the, the fact that they fucking released a story that, and I thought about it at first, I was like, okay, well, I could see that. Like it was, it was in itself kind of like so crazy. It was maybe believable. Um, and, but 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 the thing is is that over when I talk about Trump being on offense, right? Yeah. Is that they wanted Hillary wanted to go against Trump, right? And so, you know, the media helped helped actually kind of helped create Trump, which is why they part of why they hate him so much is that he was never supposed to win. He wasn't supposed to he wasn't supposed to beat Hillary. And so 
We're talking about a party that calls itself the Democratic Party and has been accused of rigging the last two primaries. That is some pretty damning circumstantial evidence that would lead me to believe that if you think Hitler is in the White House, which you know their followers believe that Hitler's in the White House, they know that a guy who stands in the way of their way of making money and way of continuing to enrich themselves on a global scale through all their foundations, their family, their, I mean, Hunter Biden and the Clintons illustrate how the game works is you sell influence overseas and then someone in your family gets paid, your foundation gets paid off, whatever. And so when we get back, we were talking about like the, that global vision they have, the reason they hate Trump so much because he's a threat. And that's kind of where I've, because he's a loose cannon, he he does at least seem to care about America first. And one of the things that drew me to him too is this whole, the whole opiate thing, man. Like the opiate thing really drew me to because he's the only one that's even giving opiates, giving that conversation airtime. And we've had an epidemic going on for ten years, and these same people who are now telling us about COVID were the ones that kind of set up the scenario that made the opiate epidemic flourish. Yeah. whether it was on the political side or the, or the, um, the medical side. So it's, you know, he's, he's, he's battling, man. Like, it's like, it's a war with, and he's, there's a kind of a WWE aspect to it too with him, which is just like, you know, these are the enemies and they've, they've put themselves in such a hole because here we are sitting here laughing about some of the stories that they've told, you know? Yeah. And when I, when I think about the team he has, like Giuliani took down the mafia in New York. So I know I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give a little bit of credibility to him until I'm proven otherwise. And at this point, I've seen a lot of evidence that's like something something happened. Let's see if they come with some you know with the hitters when it comes time to go to the Supreme Court or whatever. Yeah, how I mean I I haven't been following the details as far as the court cases other than when a ruling happens. I'm like okay, it didn't I don't think anything has really stuck at this point. Um, is there, I mean, how many more are out there? Do you have any idea? I don't know. I mean, because it's so hard to follow the entire thing, right? And um, the path that I've seen and the path that Candace Owens has talked about too is that there's a path to the legislature, um, to, to having the election that way. But a path that uh, my dad has talked to me about too is that um, there is a path of, in terms of court cases, you know, I mean, like think about the Hunter Biden situation, like, that's like he, Joe Biden is financially tied to China through his son and his son has all these dirt on him and, and all these ways to hold power over him. Uh, you know, if you're the Chinese, I, they, these, we're talking about like Manchurian candidate kind of stuff, you know, like it sounds crazy. It sounds crazy coming out of my mouth too, as I hear it with my ears. I mean, and, and it only has to go from here to here. And I know it sounds crazy. But we're talking about like a, a system that is, you know, it's essentially the, the sides have been set. There's, and when we talk about the incentives, right? Michael Plaster came on episode four of uh, 10 PATX Chats. He's our film guy out of HQ uh, and he's uh, worked in Hollywood. And, you know, he talked to me about how, how deeply invested uh, or how, how projects get done in Hollywood. You get investors. China has seeded california with investors who invest in hollywood movies and get what they want done and they do that across the board what we're finding what we found out through the pandemic is that the wall street journal got i think it was like 19 million dollars one year from china 
um, you know, uh, and, you know, the Wall Street Journal hasn't been so favorable to Trump this year either. And they've been pretty COVID, COVID heavy too. And so we've got that. We've got the Nike situation. We've got the NBA situation. And people forget that the situation that got the entire world scared was the NBA suspended their season after Rudy Gobert touched every single microphone and then tested positive for COVID. It was like a made-for-TV moment. And so since COVID has happened, China and the NBA have repaired their relationship. So now they, it, it, sometime in October, Adam Silver talked about the repairing of the relationship between, between China and the NBA. And so- what a, what a, Sorry to interrupt you, but I was just thinking oh, as you were talking about this. What, whatever came, and I, I'm ashamed to not even know this, what happened with Hong Kong? Is there, are there still riots in Hong Kong? No, no. The week that's kind of that's an interesting that's like a very interesting timing as well too. Like, thanks for bringing that up. The threat against communism from within, right? Like Hong Kong finally standing up. That was big talk. I mean, even uh, Daryl Morey from the Rockets and all the shit that that caused when he brought you know gave some support to Hong Kong and said, "I stand for the people of Hong Kong." And then they had him retract all that, and he's he's no longer with the organization. He left. Yep, he, he got fired. He did get he did get picked up by the 76ers. So uh, I was gonna say I don't even think he's hired yet. But but to that point, the week that there was a, a big week in Hong Kong where China really just kind of it was like the final. It was like now we are in control of Hong Kong was essentially the the you know and and when you say I'm ashamed to not even know, bro, it's the most it's but it like whole, disappeared. You know what I mean? The whole it's- show. That's the thing is this, this whole show that's gone on COVID has become the excuse and the riots in the summer, the protests in the summer, they have become the excuse for, or the thing that distracts us. And then they also become the excuse when, when Nancy Pelosi is asked about the Hunter Biden laptop, she says, no, I'm talking about COVID right now. But the first week of June, Hong Kong basically came back under control, uh, under control of China. What happened during the first week of June? We were all looking at our, our phones and our, and our computers as cities were being burnt, as pro- peaceful protests were happening and all those kinds of things. Uh, you know, everything, that, that entire show that went on. And so, you know, and, and then you factor in something else too. Uh, I just saw a video Scott Adams posted about China was using TikTok to target Americans they felt would be sympathetic to the BLM Antifa cause. And they targeted them with TikTok videos that taught them how to riot. And so there's a lot, there's a lot there. Like there's a lot of events happening, incentives behind events that kind of illustrate how this year was a really big show. It was an event. I don't call it the pandemic, I call it the event. When I write about it, when I talk about it, I don't talk, call it the COVID pandemic. I call it the COVID event because, you know, you mentioned like it sounds crazy that, you know, it might all be about the election, but all of this stuff put us in a position where we had mail-in ballots and that was rationalized in these states under the guise of the pandemic. It was also rationalized that Republican poll watchers had to stand 25 feet away because of the pandemic. And so when you talk, when you like they got mail-in ballots, Republicans are fighting for voter ID while Democrats are fighting for, we don't even need signature verify. So there's too many, there's too much smoke. There's gotta be a fire somewhere. And, and I'm talking about the event. I'm talking about the election because it's, there's just too much. There's, there's too much for there not to be something there. And 
the problem is, is that it's not, rather than it being on the news, which would be a great story if they really wanted to just get ratings for telling a great story, it would be a great story to tell. But instead, it's me and you trying to, you know, get this, get this conversation out to people yeah. about, hey, something might be going on. I, I, I'm in the camp of something's, something's fucking going on, man. And then I got the tinfoil hat on and all that. And you're in the camp of, I think something's going on and you're being, you're balancing me out, but we both in this is like, something might be going on. Well, something's definitely going on. I think for me, it's, it's to what level um, I'm just, I try to, and it's funny. Cause I know people listening to this are probably like, dude, you, you're the biggest conspiracy theorist ever. I'm so willing to look at everything. And I talk about all the possibilities because I think that's the only way that you can work them through. And I'll, I'm sure I'm like kind of like meandering through these topics and I'm like stopping and thinking about it because to me, that's how I process it. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. You know? And then other times I'm like, Oh, well now that doesn't make sense. I mean, we're sitting here having this conversation about the pandemic and it really being tied to globalization. And mm-hmm. it makes a lot of sense, right? Walmarts are open, all these large companies, which yes, they seem like Americana Walmart from Arkansas, you know, yeah. the Waltons, but Think about the money, the the loans, the debt that Walmart has taken on from banks that are probably backed by China. And that's something that you don't understand. It's in the background. These companies are multi, multi billions of dollars. And I go on Facebook and I see people from my hometown that are devastated because they invested right before. I invested in action right before the pandemic. I invested in December of last year. Yeah, no, it seemed like a really and it's still it's, you know, it's it was a great idea. But I think about what what would this year have been like for us at action if the pandemic hadn't happened? You know, like we had a a whole plan that was tied to, you know, farmers markets and getting out into the community and having people try it because the value of action and what's different about our coffee is that it tastes so much better. And then all the other great stuff, you know, that it's natural and, you know, roasted on demand, yada, yada, yada. But we've had to change how we've gone to market completely. We had to basically lose investment money that we spent on things no longer is a good investment because of COVID. And so there was no help for us. You know, I'm sure there were certain programs that I could have tried to take advantage of, but to us, it was, okay, let's pivot. Let's try to, figure out a new path forward and let's also try to, you know, keep a steady ship in this crazy ocean and let's get through it and let's see what next year brings. Um, Let's try to survive. That's what a lot of people were doing, but most didn't, most people didn't survive it, but you have like all, all this, right. We're focused so much on this global perspective of the pandemic and we haven't said anything about another possibly very valid concern which is everybody being forced of vaccination and the financial windfall for that so that's why i'm cautious because i mean maybe it's all of the above um but to me if somebody's planning and plotting this out they've done a really good job if it's encompassed global market vaccination you know, it seems like so many directions. So I'm kind of like, am I missing something? Is it maybe one or the other? Am I, am I falling into a hole uh, as it pertains to China? And that just seems like what it is. And maybe it really is about a vaccine, but maybe China's tied to that. It's like, I, I constantly go through this meandering thought process. 
because I have a fear and we can talk about this later, possibly, or even whatever. Now um, they've wanted to push adult vaccinations for a really long time. And yeah. I'm not, I'm definitely not anti-vax. I think, you know, there's been so much good, so much good done by vaccine. Um, you know, it stopped so many horrible things from potentially just devastating civilization, but not what I'm seeing with this. So. I, I don't, I don't, wouldn't consider myself anti-vax and I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't have prior to this year. Um, but I, I'm, I'm, I've got a lot of questions now, man. Um, you know, I, I'm really, I'm wondering, you know, because a parent listens to a doctor, you know, a doctor is the most trusted person in our society. And one of the scary things about this pandemic is how many doctors have let us down because they, they aren't talking about the, the, the issues, the mental health side of this. They're not talking about what's going on with people like kids being depressed, man. Like that's like kids not being in school, people being depressed, losing their businesses. And when you talk about like a, an adult vaccine, right? Like you're trying to force me to take something that's not going to kill me. Like the, 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 the virus isn't going to kill me. I mean, it might, but I, I don't get to decide the choice on that. And it feels like there's a lot of anti-choice stuff. I joked around, oh man, this is going to inflame some people. But uh, I said, I said, the only thing that Democrat leaders are pro-choice about is killing babies, uh, which, you know, that, that's a harsh line, bro. But, you know, I, you know it's, a, it's a heavy hitter. But it's like, it's like we keep getting told these people are pro-choice. And I'm like, what did pro-choice become? Like pro-choice only talks about abortion. Yeah, no, I'm, you know, uh, I'm afraid to touch that with a 10 foot pole, but I mean, don't touch it. No, don't touch no, it. no, but no, but you're, you're not wrong. Right. Like uh, you know I think I mean? in, in terms of proving, in terms of proving a point that pro-choice should mean choice then, and that should extend to vaccine that should extend to mask that should extend to a lot of things doesn't mean that there shouldn't be an underlying um, fact-based reasoning behind why you did it. Yeah. You know, if, yeah. If, if you can tell me masks are going to save people, I'll do it, but you can't. If you can tell me that a vaccine is going to be safe and effective and un these vaccines haven't even gone undergone animal tri trials apparently. So there's a lot of questions I have. And, and one of the reasons I, I am very direct with my language is precisely for that response. I just got out of you. You're sitting there. You had this like ooh moment. Remember when rap music? You first you first started listening to rap music, and even today you hear a good line like you you need to hit people between the ears, man. Like you know, it's not like it's a good point. You know, like you're a marketer. You're a marketer, right? I had a, I had a teacher, uh, and this kind of goes back to me feeling like I, I am one of those people that's on the table like yelling because I had a teacher in a marketing class knock over a chair. This was 11 years ago, and I've been hit in the head so many times that I don't remember that much from this time period, hit getting hit in the head and doing drugs, right? So um, he hits, he knocks over a chair, and he stands on the table, and, and he's like, that's great marketing. You're going to remember this. You're going to remember this moment, you know, and here I am remembering it 11 years later with you, and the realization is that, like, things, people get loud, they get obnoxious because they got it, they want, they're trying to bang through your eardrums and get inside your brain and hit you with some truth. Like, you know, when you hear Takeover by Jay-Z, man, 
like when I listen to that, I'm like, I'm like, that's my shit because he really hits you between the ears. And, you know, you talked about banks and debt and Walmart, and those are really important points because there's dual factors going on. Is that there's a, a global, there's the World Bank, there's the Federal Reserve, there's these global actors who have a vision of the future that includes China. And China has 1.4 billion people, the huge marketplace. India has over a billion people. So one of the things I liked about the pandemic is we've strengthened our relationship with India. I'm sure India has issues like China does as well. But one of the issues that I have about the focus on Russia as a national security threat is we've been focused on Russia and we've been focused on terrorists in the Middle East for 40 years now, when the entire time we should have been focused on China. China was always the threat. And so we built this buddy-buddy relationship with China when they've been planning on how to take us out for 100 years. Isik, uh, who's been on the podcast twice with me, um, you know, another guy who didn't vote for Trump. And now he's like, he's like looking at stuff and he's like, man, China's been planning for 100 years on how to take him out America because they realized they couldn't take him out in a conventional war style. And this is where the jujitsu side of me comes in, right? It's like there's an unconventional war going on. And that unconventional war is that there's a psychological war. There, there's um, a way that there, uh, there's a drug war that uh, China has infiltrated our country with fentanyl, which is made in the lab. By the way, and, and when we talk about the event 201 and if this was planned, that lab, it came out of a lab and the media didn't want to cover that it came out of a lab. Yeah, there was only one. It was like Brett Baer, I think, right, from Fox News reported. And that's, listen, there's some there's some D-bags over there as well, too, you know. Brett Bear is somebody who, from a reporting and journalistic standpoint, I've I've always respected his work, and I think that he's somebody who, if he says something, everybody should at least be paying attention, and that should at least be grounds for other journalists to to dive in and provide some support because journalists should be sticking together and following the stories, and that's you know that hasn't happened. But the problem is, is that they're ideologically committed, and they're also financially incentivized. Um, because the reality of the situation is, and this is why I kind of come hard at people too, is that like, there's a lot of people that like, cause I'm trying to bang through their eardrums, man. There's a lot of people that think that having the right sounding politics absolves you from all the other consequences of the politics. And it's like, and LeBron's the perfect point of it. Like, why was, why did LeBron have any credibility after he didn't speak up for Hong Kong? Why did anybody listen to him? The entire media establishment should have said, you had your chance, man. You had one chance to do the right thing in a, in a way that didn't financially benefit you and you didn't do it. Well, and here's where I go conspiratorial, right? If, if, if this isn't set up and it, you know, it's probably just, it's happened naturally, but social media has created this society where we reward individuals, right? It's the, the reward system. You get the little heart, you get a comment, you get a share, you get, you know, whatever it is in the platform that you're in. It's creates social, um, I don't know what the term would be, right? It's, it, it, it gives you a boost a little bit and other people see it. So then it's like, yeah, yeah, it's validation. It's, it's whatever. And like, it's happened at the same time where our ideals are being challenged in other ways. And I was going to ask you like, why is it? Cause you are blunt you, and, and I appreciate that. And you're right. You make people think and listen to everything that you're saying when you catch their attention with something that might be like, Oh fuck. Um, 
but why is it that so many people who are so intelligent that you can have a really intelligent conversation about something else, but if it if the conversation went to politics, it's not whether or not they agree or disagree with you, but it's when you start asking questions, it's how they formed their opinions. You can tell they formed their opinions differently about these topics than they did about you know, when you were talking to them about snowboarding or when you're talking to them about uh, a business, you guys maybe were both into e-commerce and you're talking about if the conversation never goes to politics, you'll have a, a dialogue. You can, it's like dancing, you know, or you're, you're like, you see how they think you can get a lot from them. And I've done a lot of this in the business world where I've had conversations with people who, you know, a couple interactions and you're like, man, I have a lot of respect for this person because I can see how their thought processes are. I don't need to know everything they believe in because I could probably predict what they believe on a certain thing based on how I know they go about thinking. But for some reason, this has really turned into something that you can't predict because all reasoning has gone by the wayside. It's almost the same way that religion has has kind of gone, right? You can have a, a really logical explanation. I know a lot of people who are in the Mormon community, and I'm sorry, guys, if you're listening to this, I know some of you do, but some are extremely successful in business. I know many. Uh, I'm thinking of one in particular. He's made millions and millions of dollars. He's a great investor. He understands really how to impact change. He's, he's done a lot of good, but if you try to talk to him about why there's some holes in his thinking from a religious standpoint, all of that reasoning goes out the door. And it's like, you're talking to somebody who no way, shape or form could have ever amassed the level of success that he did in business, because it's not the same way he thinks about things in business. And so I wonder from you, from you, like, what is that? What do you think that is? Because that's how we're going to change the world is how do you, communicate with those types of people who have given into yeah. the easy way of thinking, you know, this is, this is perfect. Cause, uh, it, uh, you know, it's on the topic of how I came to be who I am right now. So it's kind of like a, a topic of recovery too. Right. Um, what you're talking about is a religion. These are people, it, it, it's like leftist thinking woke politics has become a religion for people who think they're too smart for religion, essentially. It's a religion. They believe things on faith. They believe things that aren't true. Um, granted, right, like maybe this, maybe, this, maybe this election fraud thing isn't real. Maybe I'm believing something that's not true right now. But if you can come to me with some evidence after the fact and as this plays out and after this plays out, I'll come to you and I'll be like, damn, they got me, I guess. They got me. But these are still people, people are, you know, calling Trump supporters, cult members who still believe that there was Russia collusion when there's documents out that show that there's not. The same way that Catholics used to call gay people evil and you're going to go to hell, right? I mean, it's, right. it's, no, it's no different. Well, there's a piece of that too. There's a piece of the people who don't agree with them are infidels. The people who do not agree with leftist politics and woke politics, they're infidels. That is precisely why they are okay with canceling them. It's why they're okay with this stuff. Because they're, 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 they, don't, they look at them as in, the people that are outside of what is allowed. And that is a religion to me because when you, when you cancel someone's ability to 
pursue income, they think they're not communists, but you're just, you're just a step away from killing that person, whether they go down the, uh, the rabbit hole of depression uh, or addiction, or they can't feed their family. Dude, I, I think I told you before, but I had people that, like, when I, when I illustrated the connection between Black Lives Matter and Antifa, and I got in an argument with some people in football Twitter, I had people in my DMs saying that I hope you're eating out of a garbage can next week. So these are people who think that they have the right politics and they think you have the wrong politics. So it's a religion to them. And it's, it, it, is, it, it has all of the feelings of a religion. There's the, and the mask is the religious garb at this point. I mean, when you see people that are outside when it's not cold out, because I get it, it's getting cold now. I even got a gator that the second that we don't have to wear masks inside, I'll start wearing the gator outside because it's super warm because I don't want to, I don't want to look like I'm wearing a mask outside. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to look like I'm a part of the religion. And so, and so, um, but there's, there's a, an aspect of mind control that comes from believing because everyone needs principles to live on. And it's a lot of work to figure out what principles you live on, which is why religion can be such a useful tool. Now I've, I've worked out my issues to whatever extent I've worked them out and I've, and I've come to religion now and I'm like, wow, like there's a lot in these stories that I can learn from. And I don't look at it like, all right, Jesus did this. I look at Jesus as an example. Like Dave Chappelle said it the other day, he's like, he's uh, he was on Rogan's podcast and Rogan's like, have you gotten any pushback for having um, the, the shows outside? He's like, no. And he's like, and he's like, oh, who cares? And, uh, and Joe's like and laughing and stuff. And he's like, and Dave says, Jesus was a nice guy too. And uh, they killed him. And that's just people. And so there's a lot of power in that story, right? So like you can return to religion and you can gain things from, you can gain things from everyone. There's a lot that people who are super woke are right about, right? Like I saw mm-hmm. something this week that um, Republicans didn't vote to decriminalize marijuana. Uh, Democrats did. And so Democrats are right on that issue. But as, as someone brought it to my attention, I said, I can identify with the idea that decriminalization of marijuana is a state's right issue more than I can rationalize the idea that people who disagree with me shouldn't be allowed to speak. And so there's two different kind of realms of you know politics in America today. And people can get caught up in the arguments of they're always, you know, the woke stuff. And uh, the, because here, speaking as someone who thinks marijuana is a, a great drug that should be legal, I also hear arguments against it. So I'm not some ideologue on it. Like if you, if you make marijuana widely available, uh, it's not something that you want someone under 18 doing. Do I want to, edu- I want people to be educated. I also think that al- I think alcohol is way worse than marijuana. So there are consequences to everything that we do. And we just have to be uh, mature enough to acknowledge those, even when it goes against our own beliefs. And, um, you know, there's a, there's not a lot of that out there. Yeah, no, I saw a video Dan Crenshaw posted and, uh, I don't know, like, again, I, I'm somebody who I don't want to paint. He was, uh, it was a video talking about the dangers of marijuana and, uh, you know, really pushing that this legalization is wrong. And he tried, I'll give him credit. He tried to, you know, say, Hey, I, you know, he tried to be progressive. If we wanted to move towards a medical system that, you know, helps people that way, I would understand it, but this is different. And, 
you know, children are going to be confused and how do parents talk to their kids? And I think you start going down that road. It's like, how do you talk to your kids about anything you don't want them to do? Be a fucking parent. Why does the government have to be involved in that? Yeah. You know, like I can turn on, I can go turn the television on and there's shit on there that I wouldn't want a child to see that could be just as harmful to them in their future as a, you know, 13 year old finding out that you can buy weed at the store if you're 18. Like what the fuck? So the argument for control is always like a parenting argument. Yep. Like it's like, what about the children? Yeah. And I have a lot of respect for Dan Crenshaw. I tend to agree with a lot of the things that he says, but for me, what, like you've now to the religion thing, it's like weed is the, is part of the religion for Republicans. So you're not, a, you're not looking at it at that problem the same way that I know you look at other things, the same way that I respect you on other things. And that's why on, on that, it just kind of turns me off. And it, it's, you know, I get it. You got to toe the line as a politician and you have to do certain things. But I, again, 2020 to me is the year for people to take yeah. it as an opportunity to do the right thing and to change, like the world is in upheaval. Let's use it to actually change those things that are a part of our religions, quote unquote, that we know as uh, people practicing that religion are silly. Yeah. Yeah. As a veteran, it's, uh, it's especially troubling for him. Uh, not me. I'm not a veteran. As a veteran, to hear him say that, uh, are you not talking to your homies? Yeah. You don't know any of your friends are addicted to opiates? You're in Texas. You don't know about Mexican drug cartels. You don't know how they make money. You don't know how marijuana is such a cash crop for anybody. Uh, you don't know how many people smoke marijuana. You don't know how much uh, taxpayer money could come in from that. You don't know how much that could help, that could fix, that could all sorts of stuff. So it's like for for those to be your arguments are really poor arguments. And I respect him on a lot of things too. And this is one of the things I, I said to someone yesterday is that I know I shouldn't, tr- this might be my political philosophy. I know I shouldn't trust Republicans, but I know I can't trust Democrats, right? So it's like, <laughs> it's like, you know, I, I'm, in, I'm in that, like, right? Like, I, I don't, I didn't vote for Republicans in 2016, 2018. You know, I, I, I don't, I think that system's flawed. I think that system's broken. The only reason I voted this time was because they seem to be the people that don't want us locked down. And that seems to be the most important issue to me this time. And Donald yeah, Trump's you know, guy throwing I've, bows and shit, you know? I've come across pretty political. So I'm, I know anybody that listens to this is probably, or and there's people that probably tuned out because they're tired of hearing me talk about it. But the only reason that I've gotten as political as I have is not because I'm some rabid Trump supporter. I kind of thought the guy was funny initially. It was what it was. He, he did some things that I thought were really positive. You know, f- for me, my support of him in the election was really because of deep by default. It was, yeah, he was the only thing that was really standing for all the shit that I was really concerned about the assault on the second amendment, just this massive leap of progress that was it it was like we're not going fast enough so like everybody got together and said well look if we bum rush to the front of the line they can't stop us all and it just it's wrong it's not the way we do things it doesn't mean that america's perfect and that we've got it all figured out there's a lot of problems that we need to fix but in my estimation we gave ourselves all the things that we wanted and also took away a lot of things that we needed. And we, we haven't quite realized that yet. 
And when it starts to hit us, we're going to blame a, a bunch of other things. We're going to blame a lot of other people. But in the reality, if we sit back and look, I think we're going to be responsible for our own demise because of our haste to want really short-term things. You know, it's And now I see it scares me because it's the same mentality I see with the government, dude. They're like, I saw a report and tell me if I'm, I saw fake shit, but a proposal for a $1,500 stimulus check if you take the vaccine. Yeah, I saw that proposal too. I mean, I, that's, I heard that story, right? That's just, that's wrong to me. One of the aspects of our society is that uh, we're just, we're, we might just be at that point where we're just too comfortable as a, as a country. Like people have been kind of into this opiate days of comfort, whether it's, op whether they're on opiates or not. There's a really good quote um, uh, from that book I talked to you about, uh, Dreamland. In Heroin Addicts, I had seen the debasement that comes from the loss of free will and enslavement to what amounts to an idea, permanent pleasure, numbness, and the avoidance of pain. But man's decay has always begun as soon as he has it all and is free from friction, pain, and the deprivation that temper his behavior. And in my book, uh, in the, the latest one, Caponomics, how NFL champions are built and dynasties are destroyed on the 451 Project, I talk about COVID. I mean, I don't talk about COVID. I talk about there's a, a book about why the Ivy League schools became really good at football because they saw that their kids were becoming soft. And there's this piece of jujitsu that I see as an opportunity as a society to get away from being so soft. And one of the things is I think our, we have it too easy, man. Like people are, and we, we have it too easy in some respects, but at the same time, we also have it really difficult in a lot of respects. But like, as a culture, even though we have like, right, we're in a debtor system, right? Everyone's got debt. Everyone's got credit card debt. They've got uh, student loan debt. They're under a, a mounting amount of pressure. And it gets to the point where they don't really have any other options other than we need more stimulus. We need this. We need things. Give me things. I need to be comfortable. That's one of the things too. I talked to you about live not by lives, right? It's just like we've gotten to the point and that's by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. And he talks about, we've gotten to the point in, in his, in his time. And, you know, he's, he, he's the author of Gulag Archipelago, a book that Peter Jordan Peterson mentions often. And um, people will do whatever they need to do for their daily bread, like for their daily ration, for their whatever. They'll silence themselves. They'll, they'll take whatever's coming. They'll take a vaccine for $1,500. The, you know, you could convince people, people are screaming for more stimulus rather than screaming for the economy to open. You know, the, the solution isn't more stimulus. We're devaluing the dollar. I saw some crazy stat that like 23% of the dollars that exist today were printed this year. Now that might be fake news too, but uh, we printed a lot of money this year, didn't we? Yeah. Or we, whatever we did, however, however financial this whole system works, right? Like we, we, we are, people are screaming for more help from the government rather than screaming for the government to get the fuck off their back, you know? Yeah. What I hope that we can do through the conversations that we have over time is that I want people to listen to our conversations and be like, like have the same feeling that I have when I listen to Duncan Trussell or when I listen to like Jordan Peterson or when I listen to one of these guys, it's like, wow, I didn't think I thought of these things, but they just put it in a way that I didn't understand before. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, one of the things that I want to hopefully break through to some people on is that like, I've been under the spell of a molecule and a lot of people 
are under the spell of their own beliefs. And to be under the spell of that molecule, I had to uh, believe a lot of things that I've completely abandoned. I'm a completely different person than I was there with the, when I got back to being who I am now, I realized who was I in high school and what are the good traits of who I was in high school before this all went off the rails, right? And I was the guy that when I went to a restaurant, I knew the manager and I talked to him when I'm 18, 17, because that's what my grandpa always did. Talk to small business owners, talk to adults. He was uh, always trying to make people laugh. And I got back to being that person, but I also constructed an entire worldview around me that has taken me away from who I was in that moment. Because to get to doing, selling drugs, doing all that, that entire world, you have to be surrounded by people who are also not doing the right thing. You have to then rationalize it to yourself. You have to rationalize these beliefs that have put you in that position. And people are believing things that don't have evidence right now. And it's not positive. It's not like, it's not moving you forward. It's not making you happy. Advocating for lockdowns, telling somebody who's six feet away from you to put the mask over their nose doesn't make you the good guy in this story. You know, you're telling them because you're so scared and you have so much going on inside of you that you need to tell that other person how to behave. You want control over that person because you're scared. And that's okay to be scared. But at some point you need to wake up and be like, hey man, like, like I, I'm just looking at this all wrong. And people need to be willing to admit that. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being wrong. I've been wronger than fucking everybody, dude. And so that's why I don't really feel fear about like being can't like these kinds of things because it's like, it's like, it's like an eight mile when he's like, now tell these people something they don't know about me. Yep. Like, what are you going to tell people about me? I mean, I've already done the worst thing I can do, you know? So it's like, and when you make the wrong decisions, you go to hell. Hell's here. Hell's not underground. Heaven's not up there. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not right. Hell's here. You either create it or you create heaven. And so decisions make that. And so if you're doing the wrong things, hell is eventually coming for you. So I'm just trying to tell you that you're creating your own personal hell by living lives and by imposing your control on others. And maybe I'm wrong about some stuff, but I think I'm pretty right on a lot because I've fucked my life up enough to, uh, to uh, figure it out. Well, you're not wrong about a lot of things. And yeah. you... When, our, when you are wrong, to your point, you've always been willing and vocal about what you've been wrong about. And that's why I, I continue to listen to all the other things that even when I'm like, okay, Zach's on one today. Like, but I've, because of that, I, I still look and I've learned a lot of things and I've changed my perspectives on a lot of things. And it's why I'm excited for the fourth time that you'll be coming on this show <laughs> because we'll dive into even more stuff. One of the things I want to say is I'm super stoked about action. You and Joe couldn't be more supportive of how crazy I am and the 10th planet culture and all those kinds of things. And I just feel like you guys are really moving in the right direction. So to be a, a small part of that and be like on like peripherally on the team and building our way into being a part of the team um is super exciting and, and i think that you're going to do a lot of really good stuff because it's just the interview style you know you ask good questions i've listened to a bunch of them now um you're a thoughtful it. guy and you ask good questions and you understand uh you know i had this conversation about joe rogan is that you know me and my girl have it is that i know his role his role is to be what you're doing 
um, and is to hold space for all ideas and to be as um, as open-minded to whoever's talking as possible and to kind of let them go. And you do a really good job about it. Sometimes I get annoyed with Joe because he's like, he's like, he's on, he's on this or that. But, uh, but you know, the role that you're taking on is, is you're doing a tremendous job with it, man. And I, I love listening to him and I'm, I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to listening to Elias. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. I, I do my best. I'm far from perfect. I'm learning a lot. I trust me. I go back. I listen to all of these. I cringe sometimes. Yeah, but we I all learn. Do. Yeah, I learn. So it's an evolution. There's more coming, whether people like it or not. So uh, <laughs> it sounds like they're liking it, though. Yeah, no, they are some. I get some. I I even love the people who hate it. Trust me. Uh, all right, dude. I'll catch you later, brother. I appreciate you hopping on here, and yeah, uh, yeah we'll catch up. Thank you.